Well, uh, welcome everyone. Uh, love you. It's good to have you here on the Lord's Day. Uh, I was going to show you a little video of my grandson, but I thought that was a little over the top. Uh, AJ's three, and he was doing some push-ups. I couldn't help but uh, I don't know where he learned it. He could have learned it for me because he's up on all fours, but he's barely moving. And then he counts this way. He went, one, two, three, seven, and he gets up. I said, uh, yeah, he works out like a garber. Got that down. Something's changing in grandparent uh, world that I want to let you know of. I'm not too happy about it. Gabe is our oldest grandson. He's going to turn nine next uh, next month. And you know he, he he loves me dearly. And I whenever I get to see him, he comes gives me a hug. And I've always given him a kiss on the head. He's not too fond of that kiss on the head anymore. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't say he doesn't he's, he doesn't say pop. You don't do that. But I can kind of tell by his body language. The hug's okay, but, you know, forget the kiss on the head. So I'm kind of mourning that. I thought I could probably do that up till he's 30 or so. <laughs> but uh, apparently that's not going to happen. But some of that is just normal, right? Uh, you start to grow up. You start to, you know, become an adolescent. You're starting to try to, you know, have your own identity and so forth. How about some of you parents of middle schoolers, uh, what it's like, uh, maybe if you're here in middle school, uh, I don't think you like having your parent uh, drop you off at school and be seen in front of your peers, right? I mean, that's not really your favorite thing. Parents, you've probably had to deal with that. Uh, and again, that's kind of normal. Uh, adolescents are starting to assert their independence, their own identity. But there's something else at work that, I wanted, that comes into play in the message today that I wanted to talk to you about. There's something that we all face. It begins in adolescence. It begins actually when we're younger. Um, it's called social norms and peer group acceptance. Those are powerful forces in our lives. Um, middle schoolers are very aware of the social norms of their group, okay? And they're very aware of any violation either within themselves or someone else in the group. And there's a pressure to conform to the social norms of whatever your peer group is. That's very real. And uh, this becomes a battleground not only in adolescence, but listen, that happens up through our adulthood. As we enter into society at large, there are social norms within our society. There are, uh, we have peer groups with, at work and uh, maybe at the university or wherever you are uh, living your life. And uh, there's a struggle that continues, and it's one of the struggles that the Bible talks about. And the Bible talks about it this way. It says that the ways of God are opposed to the ways of the world. Therein becomes the rub. Uh, in James chapter 4, James puts it this way. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Why? Because the world, by and large, has rejected God. And has said, I want to live my own life. I want to do life my way. I want to be independent of my maker. That's, what the, that's just the world's standard. And when the Bible talks about the world, John, one of Jesus' followers, wrote this. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, 
the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with these desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Friends, we, sh- we are not to love the world system that rejects God. What do you mean? How is this world opposed to God? He says it right here. The world is all about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, pursuit of pleasure, living life for yourself. Uh, go for it. Get on. How many songs? I did it my way. This is my life. Don't tell me how to live. Uh, these, there's tons of songs. The world standard is you live for yourself. Do what makes you happy. Pursue your happiness. Desires of the eyes. I, we see things that we want. I see that more in the sense of coveting things, materialism. The world is driven by those kind of things. Acquire more. Whatever you see, you know, go after that. Or the pride of life. What you can accomplish. My accomplishments. My dreams, with no recognition at all that God is the source or he should be honored and worshiped in your life. The world values and pursues all these things, but Jesus isn't about any of those things. So, the world will pressure you to conform to the things that are important to the world. It's, you're just going to feel that subtle pressure. Your peer group is going going after these things. If you don't go after them, then something's wrong with you. That's noticed. And we can have a tendency to be ashamed of that. Come on, don't look at me like that. How many times have you been in a situation in life where you could have stood up for Jesus in some way and you didn't? The one preaching to you has done that. But Paul said this. He said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, this is a universal salvation. This is good for every person in the world. It, like gravity works in the United States. Does gravity work every place else in the world? It really. So if something's true and it's really uh, a force, then... If it's true, it's, it's true everywhere. That's the nature of truth. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed to proclaim the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. Because in that gospel, in the news of Jesus, God has the power through that gospel to bring salvation to anyone in this world who will believe it. He's not ashamed. Can any of you ever imagine if someone or a group, a team of doctors or researchers or whatever, if they came up for a foolproof all-inclusive cure for every form of cancer. Can you ever imagine that they would be ashamed of that? (laughs) Of course not. They would be heralded, okay? That would be a great discovery. So why should we be ashamed that Jesus Christ has provided the cure for the worst disease that a person can have, the spiritual disease of sin? that not only would be a factor in their life here, but would keep them from God for all eternity. And Jesus has provided a cure for that. Why would we, should, we, should we ever be ashamed of that? The big difference is the world would embrace a cure for cancer, right? But the world doesn't embrace Jesus as the cure for sin. 
In fact, they don't even recognize that there is a disease. Isaiah gave this prophecy. He predicted that the Messiah, Jesus, would be rejected in the world. He said this, speaking of Jesus prophetically, he was despised and rejected by man, men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. I don't even want to look at him. He was despised. And look at this. We esteemed him not. Listen, this is true still today. Just bring Jesus up in a conversation. You might be able to talk about God. You know, people are willing to tolerate God because God can mean about anything. God, this, God's a force. You can believe almost anything about God. But when you talk about Jesus, oh, now there's trouble. The Apostle Paul said, Excuse me, Apostle John wrote that Jesus was the light who came into the world. But people love darkness more than they love light. And one of the reasons, they, they, they loved the pursuit of their flesh. They loved the pursuit of materialism. They loved, you know, the pride of life, what we can accomplish. They loved those things more than they loved Jesus. And plus, the light exposes the darkness and shows people that they're sinners and they don't like that, so they reject Jesus. So friends, we've all experienced pressures in this world to be ashamed because we know if we stand up for Jesus, we could be persecuted. But listen, here's a question for you today. Think about this. Who do you want to please? Who do you want to please in life? Do you want to please God? Or do you want to please people? You can't do both. John wrote also that the Pharisees had rejected Jesus. They were the religious leaders of his time. But there were also some other Jewish authorities who believed in him. But listen to what he wrote. He said, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now notice, there's some people living in places where they, they, they worship Jesus secretly because if they don't, they may be killed. That's not the case in this verse. What were they going to suffer? They were going to be put out of the synagogue. And rather than admit that, you know what, this guy, I, I, I believe that. <laughs> they, they didn't want to suffer for Jesus' sake. I want to say something to you too, too. Not all belief is saving belief. When it says they believed in him, I think what this means is they were sympathetic to what he was saying. I think they believed that there may be some truth to that, but they were unwilling to be all in for him because it would cost them. And friends, we do the same thing today. You may not be all in for Jesus because deep in your heart, you know that's going to cost you something. Jesus teaches about the cost and the blessing of being a disciple. And so our main set of verses today are found in the gospel of Mark chapter 8. If you, does anybody bring a Bible anymore? I don't know. Am I the only old-fashioned one? Okay. It's okay if you don't. I'm not trying to shame you. Get your device up if that's what you like, you know. Or it will be on the screen. But Mark chapter 8, 
Jesus says these words, Mark 8, and I'm going to start in the 34th verse, okay? And And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, this is Jesus, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Notice that he says, if anyone would come after me. There's a decision that has to be made in life. Christianity is not a Christianity of coercion. We are never to force someone to try to believe. We are never to retaliate against people who don't believe. Uh, Actually, Christianity has some very darkness in its history. In some of the crusades that were uh, done in the name of Christ and and, uh, just in the name of Christ, I have to, we have to reclaim Jerusalem and we're killing Muslims, we're killing Jewish people along the way. That's not biblical Christianity. Jesus says, if anyone would come to me, it's up to you. I know I'm up against another theological thought that God has chosen us. I understand. But listen, God, uh, the Bible also says that you are responsible. How those two things uh, mesh, I, I'll leave that to God. He chooses, we have to believe. I'll leave that to him. But you have to believe. You have a decision to make. If anyone would come to me. Now, if you want to come to him, three imperatives. You must, first of all, deny yourself. If any man would come to me, he must deny himself. This is an act of the will. That you have to surrender the rights to your life. You have to surrender your right, so perceived right, to self-determination. Denying personal control of your own life. That's hard to do. Everything in your body screams for your independence. Your sinfulness wants to be on your own. But Jesus says, if you want to come after me, you have to deny what you want in your life. You have to be willing to lay down your own life for me. I'll live for you, Lord. I'll forsake the values of the Lord. I won't pursue the desires of my flesh. I won't be a materialistic person. I, I, will, I will come to you. I will live for you. You could call the shots in my life. Secondly, he says, you must take up your cross. You must take up your cross. Now, a lot of times we think of this, and I do too, that, that we are to die to ourselves, and it certainly means that. But I think it means something a little bit different primarily. I believe that the cross was an instrument of torture, shame, it was meant to inflict upon the, the prisoner, whatever, just uh, suffering, humiliation. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up a cross. You have to be willing to suffer shame for my name. Listen, Jesus said that A servant is not greater than his master. If they rejected Jesus, they're going to what? Reject you. If they made fun of him, they're going to make fun of you. If they uh, did not esteem Jesus, they will not esteem you either. Friends, think of the sufferings of the Apostle Paul. This is a real popular message, isn't it? It got real quiet in here. Come to Jesus and suffer. But isn't that what he says? We're going to get to the good stuff in a minute. (laughs) 
But he says, you can't come to me unless you deny yourself, unless you're willing to suffer. I think of the Apostle Paul, what he suffered. As I was studying this week, on his first missionary journey with Barnabas, they were driven out of the city of Antioch, and they fled to Iconium. Then they had to flee Iconium there because they heard that men were going to, there was a plot to try to stone them. So they went off to Lystra. And when they were in Lystra preaching the gospel, some of the men from Antioch and Iconium followed them there. And Paul actually was stoned, dragged out of the city and left for dead. They thought he was dead. Some of his friends then came up and picked him up and he walked to the next town, still sore, still bleeding. And he started preaching there. And then he had a second missionary journey. Would you ever go back? He said, let's go back and visit all those churches because amidst all that suffering, people were starting to believe in all those places. And he says, let's go back and check on them. And so he goes with Silas this time. And, and he gets back uh, on, and he gets this Macedonian call, they call it in the Bible, where he gets a call to cross over to Macedonia. And the first place he goes is to Philippi. Uh, he and Silas are imprisoned in Philippi. Actually, they're stripped of their clothes. They're beaten with rods. They're put in stocks, and they're singing at midnight praises to God. <laughs> and God, um, oh, oh, biblical Christianity, guys. See, don't we need that? We don't need American Christianity, Protestant Christianity, Catholic Christianity. We need biblical Christianity. Yes. You know? These are the way people in the Bible lived. And God miraculously delivered them from Philippi, and he went to Thessalonica. He faced a mob in Thessalonica. Uh, they, they followed him on to the next stop, Berea. They had to flee there. There was trouble in Corinth. There was a riot in Ephesus. <laughs> wow. We have such wonderful services. <laughs> Our life's pretty easy. Now, am I saying that all of us will suffer on that level? No. No, I don't believe God calls everyone to suffer on that level. Uh, but some folks uh, who believe in Jesus around the world are suffering in that way even today. But Paul wrote to his friend Timothy and he said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. I just want to tell you the truth. The Bible always tells us the truth. If you want to live a godly life in this world, you will be persecuted. Friends, middle school students, high school students, if you stand up for Jesus Christ in your school, you're going to be persecuted. Not everybody's going to agree with you. If you don't go along with everything they want to do, and if you state why you're not going to do that, I just don't feel that's something Jesus would want me to do. Listen, you're going to, you're going to suffer for that. But know this, you will have the acceptance of God. He will approve of you. High school student, they say, well, let's go party. We've got a party over here. And you go to this party and stuff's going on that, you know, there's a lot of alcohol there. There's uh, marijuana there. There's cocaine there. I don't know what it is. Maybe people are doing inappropriate things up in the rooms. And you say, no, I can't live like that. I have to go. Why, what do you mean? What do you have to go for? I followed Jesus, and those aren't the things he wants me to do with my life. You, you followed Jesus? What are you, you better than us? 
What are you, so good, oh, Mr. Jesus follower? I don't know. It probably doesn't look like that. but <laughs> It looks like something that isn't good, okay? It doesn't feel good to be rejected, folks. But listen, welcome to Jesus' world. Welcome to Jesus' world. What did he ever do wrong? What did he ever do wrong? And they spit in his face. You may suffer, but Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to be willing to take up your cross. And lastly, if you want to follow me, excuse me, if you want to be my disciple, follow me. I keep giving away the punchline here. <laughs> you have to follow me. We are to follow Jesus in humble obedience. Do you know that God wants us to be holy? We don't preach this very much. Do you think he saves us just so we can just keep on living any way we want? He wants us to be holy. Peter wrote in, uh, this verse out of, uh, he quoted a verse in the Old Testament from Leviticus. God says, be holy for I am holy, says the Lord. You can't live the way you want to live. You can't keep doing the things you want to do. Well, you can, but that's not biblical Christianity. That's not really being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I mean, listen, I don't care who calls themselves a Christian. Whatever label you put on an empty bottle, it's still empty. Okay? You have to be willing to follow Jesus. In 1882, our founder, A.B. Simpson, began having a burden for the people of Africa. He'd heard that some along the coast had been, uh, the gospel had been taken to them, but vast regions in the interior had never heard of Jesus Christ. And he started to publicize that amongst this group of, this movement of Christians called the Christian Missionary Alliance. Eight years later, in 1890, a group of newly trained Alliance missionaries were sent to Sierra Leone. Three of them died in the first month from malaria. Others journeyed over to join those who remained. More of them died. Listen to this. I came across this statement. I was moved to tears. In 1907, there were more missionary graves than living missionaries in West Africa. A.B. Simpson gave them the option. said, if you want to come back, just come back. They said, no. God has called us here. We believe we're following Jesus. He wants these people to hear. And more continued to join them. In 1919, A.B. Simpson died. We are celebrating the 100th anniversary of our founder's death. And uh, that was really the year that Africa began to open up. And we were able to go to different places. Our founder, A.B. Simpson, excuse me, our president, John Stumbo, recently traveled to Guinea to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Alliance Church in the country of Guinea. <laughs> I should show you some of the video. I think I showed it at prayer meeting, one of the prayer meetings, and just to see the people rejoicing. You know that today the Alliance Church in Africa is one of the strongest national churches in our movement. And most of these never lived to see it. 
But trust me, they saw it. God, I'm sure, has let them know what has happened. They're with the Lord even right now. From the world's perspective, what do you think the world would, would think of those missionaries? They went and within, three, within a month, three of them died. What a waste. What a waste. They, th- they threw their life away. Some of you will say, what a waste to follow Jesus Christ. What a waste. Don't do that. Jesus has a different perspective. In verse 35, back in Mark 8, he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. In other words, whoever saves their life, meaning lives their life for themselves, focused on this world, independent of God, rejecting the call to be Jesus' disciple, that person will lose their life eternally. But a person who loses their life, meaning in this life, they give up rights to themselves and, and give their life to Jesus and follow him, what do they gain? They gain life eternal, friends. Life eternal. There are only two paths in life. You live for yourself apart from God and be eternally lost, or you live for Jesus, whatever the cost. But he gives you eternal life. In fact, I want to talk to you. Jesus asks us to count the cost. But look at what, he, what you gain. Those are big sacrifices to give up your life. But God says, listen what we gain. Listen to these things. We gain forgiveness. We gain forgiveness. God removes the guilt of our sin and the eternal wrath that we would have deserved as a result of it. We gain redemption. We've been purchased. To redeem means to purchase back something. Jesus paid for us with his own blood, and we've been redeemed. We gain reconciliation. There's a change in our relationship from enmity to friendship with God. We gain adoption as sons and daughters into the family of God, which is eternal. We gain an inheritance. You may receive an earthly inheritance, but you won't be able to keep it. I'm sorry. (laughs) You can't take it with you. But the biblical inheritance that God gives us is forever. In fact, uh, Paul writes, it's it's imperishable and it's reserved in heaven for you. (laughs) And we gain resurrection. He promises someday to raise these mortal bodies into immortal bodies that will live forever and ever. Listen, I don't care what could you gain in this world that that would match even one of those things. That's why Jesus went on to say this in verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? When you think about this, really, give your life now to Jesus. (laughs) Be willing to suffer for him now. But trust me, there will be blessings in this life and in the life to come. You will have an eternal inheritance. And Jesus gives these final verse, uh, warning in verse 38. And this is really where the message was entitled today. Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Whoever is ashamed of me, the person of Jesus Christ, 
if you blush to speak his name now, if you'd rather not bring it up, friends, there's something in your heart that isn't right. Jesus said, I'll be ashamed of you when I come. He's coming again. I believe that with all my heart. Jesus is coming again. I don't care what people say. Yeah, <laughs> all right, whatever. What they believe will not change truth. He is coming again. And he says, don't be ashamed of me now. And I won't be ashamed of you when I come in my glory. <laughs> oh, that's going to be awesome. He's not just a dead religious leader. Some people, he's just, a, he's just a man. Some people, he's just a swear word. But to us who are being saved, he's everything. He's everything to us. He says, if you're ashamed of my words, the things that he taught, and I, I extend that too because God is the author of Scripture and Jesus is God, I, I believe we are not to be ashamed of what the Bible teaches. We're not to be ashamed. If it goes against what the world feels, I can't, I don't know. I have to believe God. I'm not God. I have no right to say anything about anything unless God has said it. Do you know what I mean? But if God is saying it, then we need to believe it. If I'm ashamed of this, then Jesus says, I'll be ashamed of you. We will be held accountable for how we live in this life. That's the other point. Listen, there will be a day of reckoning. Jesus is coming again. He called this generation adulterous and sinful. Adulterous. Why is this generation adulterous? Why is the world adulterous? Because God made us for himself. God made every person for himself. He wants every person to live in fellowship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And when you give your love to the things of the world, you are committing adultery. This world is adulterous, he says. They should be giving love to me. But they give it other places. And sinful, they just don't follow me. They reject me. Friends, just a couple of applications today. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never surrendered in that way, you've never denied yourself, be willing to take up a cross and follow him with your life, I ask you today, don't be ashamed to become a Christian. Don't be ashamed today to give your life to Jesus Christ. I don't know who you are. I don't care what your religious background is. I don't care. Listen, it doesn't matter. This is biblical Christianity. I don't care what you've been taught in religion. Unless a person is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You, you come to Christ and confess that you are a sinful person in need of forgiveness. You trust and put your trust in the person of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. You will, you will have that forgiveness of sins, redemption, reconciliation, adoption, inheritance, and a, pro a promised inheritance, and the promised resurrection. All of that can be yours today if you are willing to receive Jesus Christ and be forgiven of your sins. You can ask him into your heart where you're sitting right now. Don't leave today without 
you know, if God's tugging at your heart, you know there's something going on in you. <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit saying to you, you need me. You need me. Come to me. I love you. Forsake this world. Forget this world. It, all those, the world's passing away. Come to me. I'll, I'll, I'll come into your life and I'll be with you forever. And Christian, I want to say to this to you, don't be ashamed to live as a biblical Christian. Do you know, I, I, just as I close, do you know that the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament? You'd think it might be used more since it's such a crucial word. We throw the word Christian around quite uh, easily. But I want to just briefly read to you each instance in the New Testament where the word Christian is used. The first time is in Acts 11, verse 26. This will not be on the screen. I'm sorry. I, this came late in the week to me. Uh, the slides were done. But listen, Acts, if you want to write it down, you can look at it later. Acts 11:26. It says that in the church at Antioch, it was in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Friends, that tells me something. They did not call themselves Christians. The society around them began to identify them as Christians. Oh, those are those Christ ones. Those, those people who follow the guy. Yeah, who's that? Who was that? Oh, that's that Jewish guy. He's religious and they crucified him. Don't worry, you know. But, but here's the point I want to make. They had an identity in Christ in the world. People knew them as Christians. Something was different about them. And I'm saying to you, to be a Christian means to have the identity of Christ as a, a visible part of your life. Second time it's used is when Paul is before King Agrippa in Acts 26. Acts 26, 28. And he's sharing the gospel, sharing his own experiences. He actually says to Agrippa, I know you believe these things, Agrippa. Do you believe this? And Agrippa says to him in verse 28, and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Second time the word Christian is used. And I just want to tell you, Paul's motivation, what it meant to him to be a Christian, a Christ follower was, I'm going to try to persuade people. We have to try to persuade people. You know, even if you invite somebody to church with you, that's a, you're starting to try to persuade someone. Listen, I know sometimes when you share the gospel, some will walk away. Some will become hostile. But some will believe. Do you believe that? Some, you, you may not even think of the ones that you might be thinking in your mind would ever believe. They're the ones that may believe. But we have to try to persuade we had a very sweet time here on Wednesday night, this past Wednesday. I asked people just to briefly, if anyone wanted to share how they had received Jesus as their personal Savior. Just uh, how, they, how that happened in their life. And uh, I don't know, if Paul, yeah, Paul's here. Paul shared his story that, you know, Paul grew up Catholic and uh, uh, really did not understand the full gospel of Christ and what that meant. And in fact, I don't think you were even attending church at that time, the Catholic church. But uh, he was at a restaurant and a waitress came to his table and asked him, do you know if you're going to heaven? And she went on to share why she believed and knew in her heart that she was going to go to heaven. What boldness. 
I'm not saying I recommend that to you, but if God leads you, (laughs) hey, but seriously, Paul did not receive Christ that night, but that was a seed that was planted into his heart. See, sometimes you'll just plant a seed. Somebody else is going to water it. (laughs) But God is going to cause it to grow. That's what happened in Paul's life. And now he's a believer in Jesus Christ. He's come to know him. We prayed for that waitress. We don't know who she, you know, we don't know who she is. Just prayed for her. God, thank you for that waitress. (laughs) We need to be in the business here of persuading people, talking to people. Now, you, you need to be able to share your story. We used to share hope stories up here. I'd like to start doing that again. And, but I don't want to have to go seek y'all out all the time. Would some of you contact me and say, you know what, I'll share my story. I might need a little help with that. I know that's scary. But listen, we're not asking for a 30-minute you know, a, a thing. We're just saying, I think every Christian should be prepared to talk about how they found hope in Jesus Christ. So that when you have an opportunity, well, let me just tell you what Jesus means to me. I, you know, and I, we just kind of shared our stories. Um, maybe some Sunday we'll just do that. Maybe that would even be better than preaching, is just to take a half hour and just have diff- some of you just stand up and say, hey, this is how I found him. This is how I found him. <laughs> this is how I did. I'm thinking, I'm thinking out loud, sorry. This is- <laughs> what about being baptized? Have you been baptized? That is one of the public ways that we display our faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you were baptized as an infant. We practice believer's baptism. But maybe you'd be willing to be baptized. On Easter Sunday, we want to set the, the, our swimming pool, I call it, up here. And we'd love for you to publicly witness your faith. Would you pray about that? And if you've not been baptized, or maybe you were baptized as an infant and would like to publicly, as a, as a, as a way of saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to live for him. Uh, Let me know, okay? And we'll get you baptized. And the last time the word Christian is used, I close with this. 1 Peter 4.16, if you're writing it down. 1 Peter 4.16. He he first of all says, don't don't suffer because you're a swindler, a cheat. Don't don't suffer in that way. But he says, yet, in verse 16 of chapter 4, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Three times the word's used. One is to say, my identity is found in Christ. The second time it's used, Paul was trying to persuade Agrippa and everyone who is listening that they should become a Christian. And the third time it's used, it says, listen, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed of that. (laughs) I don't know what you may want to do with them. Worship team, come on up. I'm going to... We're going to close our service. I just am saying, God, please, help us not to be ashamed. Hope Church exists so that we might have our identity as people who follow Jesus. It exists that we might persuade people to put their faith and trust in Christ because he's worthy. And we exist to bear the sufferings of Christ. Don't be ashamed to say that you know him.